Stach and welcome to the Teachers Themselves podcast. I'm your host, Alton McMahuna. This podcast is brought to you by Dublin West Education Centre. We're located in the grounds of TUD Tala, serving and supporting the school communities of West Dublin and beyond. In this podcast, I'll be speaking with some of the very talented, dedicated people who bring you your CPD. Facilitators with a background and passion for education in Ireland. Educators whose commitment to students and colleagues shines through in their delivery of courses for Dublin West Ed Centre. When we know better, we can do better. I love that phrase. My guest today is Fiona Foreman. Fiona is an author, speaker, facilitator and trainer in the area of well-being and positive psychology in education and parenting. Fiona holds an MSc in Applied Positive Psychology, the Science of Wellbeing from the University of East London. Having spent many years as a teacher, she has seen firsthand the many benefits this brings to both young people and adults alike. She's the co-author of Weaving Wellbeing, an SBHG programme for children, which is now widely used in Ireland and abroad. Fiona is also the author of Wired for Wellbeing, a new wellbeing programme for second level schools. Her junior programme, Welcome to Wellbeing, has also been released in Ireland and abroad. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Fiona about her passion for placing well-being at the heart of school and family life. So Fiona, you're very welcome to Teachers Themselves podcast. Are you keeping well? Thanks, Manilian. It's delighted to be here and it's lovely to be here and, and hear all that and just remind, be reminded myself. Of, of the importance of well-being and you know the journey I've been on so again lovely to, to speak to teachers about my own journey delighted to be here so thanks again Alton. Not at all Fiona and actually that's that's what we're going to kick off with I suppose is where did your journey begin funny enough it's, it's amazing in talking to people how people came at teaching in different ways and, you know, the, the old traditional of, you know, your three years in Patsy, people actually find different ways to start teaching or do different things during their career. Could you tell us a little bit about how you started teaching? I know when you left school, you didn't go straight into college or the teacher training college as it was at the time. What did you do, Fiona? Yeah. And again, I suppose it was relatively straightforward, but I was also that type of child. I think some of us are that I always knew I did want to do teaching. It was just something I just always had a passion for. Loved my own primary education. I had a lot of very inspirational teachers there. So I was like, that's definitely what I want to do. And unfortunately, when I the first time I applied to go into Pata, I didn't I didn't get an offer. And I was in like trying to remember the year early 80s. I was very disappointed. And I think part of that helped, you know, one of, that was one of the reasons may, maybe later on I became interested in the area of resilience and adversity and how you deal with those kind of knocks that you get early on in your life because that was a big one for me it really was because you know when you're very fixated on something and you really want something and you don't get it that's a really good learning opportunity so I kind of made a career out of that now afterwards but um but because I had to go through it myself so I ended up I don't sound kind of very spoiled to say I ended up in Trinity doing psychology which was my second choice how bad is that yeah. oh god I'm so spoiled but <laughs> I didn't want to be there I wanted to be in Pats. But having done that, I did the, I did a year of psychology and Irish and had, had a great year, made a lot, a lot of friends. And again, you know, you get put in these positions, you have to make the best of them. And then I found out during that year that I could actually apply to Pats a second year running. 
uh, without having to repeat the leaving. So I did that. And I, and I was so, I'm not saying I was blasé, but I suppose I wasn't as fixated. I had kind of thought, well, maybe it will happen, maybe it won't. And then I got the offer the second year round. So then Trinity kept my place open for me if I wanted to come back. So I was very lucky. And then I went to Paps. But I think what happened to me there at that point was I really appreciated it. And don't forget, in those days, I was 17. That first year applying to Paps, I was only 17. You think how young, you know, we were back in the day, starting off the journey, very young to kind of be making those decisions. So but you need um, for yourself, the year in Trinity probably did your power of good at 17 rather than going straight into Paps. Like yeah. it was probably when you think of the advantages you've gotten from that sense, it probably is your power, but it's the best thing that could have happened. You're right, Alton. You're right, because again, it's a much bigger college. Obviously, I, I met a, a lot of different people that I would never have met. Talk about going from second level to Trinity. Uh, you were very much left to your own devices, even finding my way around the college. So I did have to really, really dig deep. And also dealing with the fact that I was dealing with that disappointment of not thinking <laughs> my career path is this. No, it's not. That's not going to happen. So, so what am I going to do about it? So, I learned a lot about myself. Uh, I learned that I that I was, you know, that there was more than one way of doing things. Uh, that I was stronger than I thought, which is a lovely message that I give to children now because you know I always like to talk to them about difficulties that we overcame and we don't necessarily choose them, but when we have to deal with them, we do realize maybe hopefully <laughs> that's the idea of post traumatic growth. Not saying that was a trauma. But, you know, those small little uh, obstacles that we may deal with. It's like a heartbreak because you had your heart set on something. And it's quite public because everyone knows you're going for teaching. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I did that to say I didn't get, you know, and uh, I was quite dramatic, I suppose, about it as well, you know. But uh, <laughs> and you tend to be at 17 and, you know, the world is over, you know, this sort of thing doesn't happen, you know. But when I went to Pats the second year, then I realised it was a much smaller college. It was much more insular, I suppose. My worldview had been opened a little bit more in Trinity for the year, which I felt really stood to me. You know, I was only a year older than my, my friends, but they were looking up to me. You know, I knew where to get the student card from and I knew how to go where, where to go in town. So, <laughs> so from being kind of the youngest in the class, you ended up being kind of the, the eldest in the class. And you had that bit of savvy about you, which was great. But anyway, uh, you went through Pats, uh, enjoyed Pats, and out you came. And in those days, and I came out in those days too, jobs were very thin on the ground. It was a different Ireland then. Safe to say that if you're a fella coming out, you had a far better chance of getting a job (laughs) than a girl coming out. That was just the way it was. It was tough going there because I know a lot of my classmates, you know, some, some went abroad, some did other things, mm. some struggled away and got bits and pieces until they landed, you know, the job for the year. Or if they were lucky enough, they hit the holy grail and landed a permo. Tell us about so, how you got into teaching then. Yeah, I know we've chatted before about this and the idea that maybe our expectation wasn't to get the permanent job. And I think that, you know, your expectations do really colour how then you experience life. So we didn't necessarily have that expectation of a permanent job, which I think, again, stood to us because we went in, I'm talking about myself and and all my my cohort, my friends who I still see, we didn't expect to get a permanent job uh, in those days. We we felt very lucky to get, uh, you know, a year-long contract, a career break. And I suppose it set us up for the idea that we might be moving around during our career, that maybe... And even though partially that little bit of you that, you know, wants the safety and the, you know, the, the consistency that you, you feel you want a permanent job. Really, that's not, I don't think, good for, for any of us because you can get a bit stagnant. But if you get it, it's like almost like a poison chalice because if you get the permanent job, you're going to stick with it. But if you don't get it, again, that opportunity to learn, to grow, to have to become more flexible. 
So I ended up going to one particular school at St. Paul's in Airfield for four years, which was great at the time. Four years was, was quite long as a temporary contract. And then I moved from there. That, that ended. Everybody came back from the career breaks. <laughs> that time, a lot, a lot of us had to, had to go then, spread our wings. Uh, I went to a school in Sutton then for a while. And from then I went to a school in Malbriggan. And I found my final home in Malahide. So I wasn't too far. It was all North County Dublin. But still, there were different schools. And you know yourself, you could have school, two schools next door to each other and they could be quite a different experience for you. Yeah. And if you get a broad spread of experiences like that, it's only going to add into the richness of the teacher and indeed the person you become. So true, because again, you learn, you know, different schools have different ethoses. And there's always somebody, there's always a couple of people there, especially when you're young. You remember you're looking up to certain people and you're realizing, oh, here's a different way of doing it or here's an ethos here. And from every school you go to, you learn something and you bring it with you into your own practice. Lifelong learning is so important, isn't it? And I know that's part of the role of the education centers and that just such a great fan of that. Mm-hmm. Your life can give you those opportunities, even though they might seem difficult at the time. They were all different schools and I learned so much in all of them. And yeah, it was it was a really good experience. And the gas thing is there that speaking of lifelong learning and that, so you got going, you're, you're in the different schools, you're knocking up the years of experience, you start a family, things are busy when you have your own family, then they start into the exams. And at one stage, you had a junior cert and a leaving cert at home. And you decided instead of down on tools and taking some time, you decided to make a change. So what did you do? Again, sometimes when you look back over your life, you think, what was I thinking of? You know, why was I doing that? But I decided at that point, I'd always been interested in further education. And I knew I had, a, you know, an interest in well-being and psychology, but I was always looking for the right course, I suppose. And then I just came across it that particular year. Uh, and it happened to be the year of my own, uh, too. I just said, we're doing one was doing junior and one was doing a leaving cert. So it was a busy year anyway. So I decided, oh, that's the year for me to do the master's. <laughs> While I was teaching full time as well, I do look back oh. on that year and think, oh, what can I learn from that? Maybe not take quite as much on next time. But I think, again, you know, you're probably saying to me, Ultimate, when you really are interested in something, I mean, you're passionate about it, you've got to find a way to do it. And in a way, it kept me sane <laughs> for, for that particular year because this was my time. If I was studying it, this is my, I didn't feel it at work. I felt like this is something I'm so interested in. Okay, I'm going to grab a couple of hours here, a couple of hours there. And, and sometimes, you know, that phrase, ask, if you want something, don't ask a busy person. It is sometimes true that when you have to find the time to do something, you will do it. And you were modelling best behaviour to your children at home as well. That they say, well, look at this mom now. She's got a job. She's mm-hmm. running the house here. Mm-hmm. And, and, and now she's studying as well. You know, and you know yourself, you can't make them study. Are they going to do it or not? Yeah. But the best thing maybe you can do is show them the best ex- yeah. the best example you can. That's what you were doing. So you studied that master's in psychology. And it has to be said, too, that, you know, of course, we all know about well-being now and we're somewhat of a positive psychology. But back then, it wasn't that long ago, this was all fresh. And in fairness, it was pioneering of you to be bringing that into primary schools. How did it land in your school where you were teaching? Yeah, it was great. I do feel I was lucky to discover that at that time. It is quite a new field. Um, and when I was studying it 10 years ago, it really was. That was the first master's that was actually online. So I was very lucky to be that first cohort in, in the college because I wouldn't, I don't think I would have been able to, to stop working and do it full time. I just loved it from when I started learning about it. it was just, And I just thought this is so applicable to education. So as I was learning about it myself, you know, whether it was character strength or positive emotions or resilience, 
I just started to develop lessons for my for myself, for my own students. I had second class that year. I think one of the first things we explored were, were the 24 strengths of positive psychology, which I've never heard of. And it's just a gorgeous language to teach children. So part of my program, part of my webinars, lost the time. So again, practically speaking, I started to do the, do the lessons and really the kids, you know, they're so receptive. Power positivity. I'm not going to talk about toxic positivity because that's another thing. It's not about forcing ourselves to be positive, but we do, power positivity is really, really powerful. We do need to try and feel as positive as we can, as often as we can. And, and the science behind that is there. So as I started to bring it into my classroom, it was just like opening another door or another lens. And it was very well received by the kids, by the parents, by the, the principal, the teachers. So other teachers started to ask me about it and I started to devise more lessons, just my own little lesson plans, started to give them to other teachers. When I look back and it was so organic, I wasn't saying I'll write a big program now. I was looking, I should say, when I was doing the master's, I was looking, I was thinking there must be educational programs for teaching this to children, but there really weren't. So I thought, right, well, I'll do that myself. <laughs> so then it did very much grow from that. I think I said to you that one day, a department inspector, and again, these little moments of support and encouragement keep you going. And a department inspector was in, it was in the school and I was teaching one of the, the lessons and uh, he was really complimentary and he heard the kids talking about their automatic negative thoughts and what what they do with them they were funny they were only second class but they had all the lingo and he said you really should think of getting that published you developed a summer course around is that right originally Fiona and that's again that's how I got into CPD so um, as the program started to become more well known then teachers wanted to know more about not just about the program but about positive psychology in general so I devised a summer program uh, again a number of years ago it was a face-to-face one and again, it was very much based on the masters that I had I had studied, the concepts from it and how I had adapted that for the use in the classroom. That with Drumcondra Education Centre, that was the first one uh, that I worked with. And that was, I can't remember what year that was, maybe 2016. So, um, and I, I enjoyed it so much. And I was very nervous. You know, I talked to children as well about comfort zones and doing things on here. Now, I do know from experience that I have been kind of pushed out of my comfort zone. Because when somebody said to me, you know, do a course about this, I was like, absolutely not. I won't be standing up in front of a group of teachers. <laughs> you know, it wasn't something I saw for myself. I find that very nerve wracking. And yet, and that's why when I talk to children about the comfort zone, to realise it is stressful to, to go out of your comfort zone, but that's the only way we grow. And it's normal to feel a bit stressed. But again, the teaching community is so supportive. The support and encouragement I got all along the way. And, and again, it was my own staff that, that did that first course. And they were all like, oh, it's just us. You know, we know it anyway. We do the course. So I was shaking the first morning. The first it's morning. nearly harder in front of your own staff. Maybe so, maybe so. Mm. But yeah, I don't know which is harder. Well, it's funny, that's it, shortly after that, then our paths first crossed. Well, my, you came across my path. Yeah, I, you wouldn't have known me at the time, but I was attending an INTO event was a cross-border thing. You present the stuff in such a practical way, and I'd be a bit of a cynic sometimes. <laughs> and, you know, you'd hear well-being, and I would be kind of, i just get on with it. Yes. But you know what? You presented it in such a practical way that it appealed to me instantly. And I said, actually, that's dead right. And it was a no-nonsense approach, and you ticked a lot of boxes for me. But the minute I heard you talking at that event, it was in the hotel in County Down, Nuri, Canal court or whatever it's called they sponsored the down football team and gee I'll never forget it and it's no surprise to me that it went off so well for you and it grew legs and you end up publishing those books and that they're so well received and there's a program now 
And I suppose when I started here in Dublin West, I said, well, for sure, we're going to be getting Fiona. But of course, Fiona was working here already before yeah. I arrived because when COVID hit, you started working with Dublin West. Can you yeah, tell me yeah. a little bit about that, Fiona? Very early on. And just before I say that, I just I really appreciate what you said there, because when people talk about well-being, I do sometimes get this kind of two different attitudes. One, that it's very fluffy. It's light and fluffy and frivolous and what are you on about? And then the other one is that it's abstract or what are we even talking about? And the great thing about positive psychology is the science. And I think when people see the science and they they just become a little bit re- more reassured that you know there is evidence based. It, it is, you know, it is science. We're trying to improve the quality of, of our lives and, and our students' lives. And so that teachers can do everything they can. And, and I don't like teachers to feel that pressure. But to figure out what, what can we do and then how to do it in the most practical way and the practical side of it. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yeah, it's been a very incremental journey for me. And then, of course, the pandemic. Is, I did I did end up leaving teaching then just before the pandemic because it was growing. And I decided that I'd leave and I'd go into full time into, into writing and giving the talks. And then as soon as that happened, the pandemic happened in all the schools and all my talks disappeared. All my diary was empty. And then fantastic, again, the school community and the, the education centres stepped up. And again, here's another out of the comfort zone. The idea when I do a webinar, and you know, I know myself so well now that my initial feeling is always I'm always a little bit scared about doing something new. But I know, I've learned that that won't stop me. And that's why I think I like working with children who maybe have a bit of anxiety or doubt themselves because I want to make sure that they, that doesn't stop them. Just you can feel that way, but you can still do it. So Dublin West were one of the first ones. Um, and of course, the big topic at that point was teacher well-being. So I had been doing quite a lot of work on that. Of course, that was the number one topic I was seeing. My my colleagues at school, I'd left. Oh, my goodness, I'd seen. You saw two old something. You were teaching at that time, weren't you? I was, yeah. yeah. Stress, the uncertainty, the pressure, the expectations. You know, my heart went out to teachers at that time. So and education centres were fantastic because... It was one of the first topics that it, yourselves were, were interested in to support the teachers as a starting point. So that was one of the first webinars I did. And then some of the other topics then obviously became relevant. And the appetite was incredible, wasn't it? it brought that on. Unbelievable. Absolutely. I think, I suppose people got to terms with the, you know, the IT end of things quickly enough with the Zoom and what have yes. you. And I was impressed that teachers were willing for the first time ever uh, since the foundation, I suppose, of the state, that the kids were coming into their houses because they were getting up on Zoom and they were doing this, that and the other. So all of a sudden, mums, dads, kids, they could see into their living room or their whatever, or their upstairs back bedroom or whatever it was. Initially, it was with tentative steps. And then teachers started doing stuff like we read some teachers had moved down home during the COVID. And there was one lad and he was was feeding calves and he was showing the kids (laughs) feeding calves. And there was all sorts going on. Absolutely brilliant. And people out there in a way that was well beyond what they ever would have expected to be doing. And it was a real hats off to them. And I I, I really hope that people never forget what teachers did Mm. around that time. Because they did have to expose an awful lot of their private lives, which it's not a comfortable thing to do. No. And you know that when you go back to school, they all know that yeah, again. Yeah, you know, yeah. so that separation was taken away. So the boundaries, were really you know, boundaries were, were definitely blurred a bit. And I know that was stressful for teachers too. And a lot of teachers, the, the downside of that was the feeling of being always on. And, you know, the emailing, I was only talking to some teachers uh, yesterday saying that the access to email 
really came on board during uh, during COVID. But really now teachers do feel very um, overwhelmed because there hasn't really been a pullback on that. So, you know, it was just, I think we're thrown into something at that time. And again, the versatility and flexibility and the creativity of teachers was just, I thought, was going on in my own school. I was blown away. But again, there was obviously stress attached to it as well, as you were saying, you know, so trying to balance that. Thankfully now, what it's ended up in is from an, from an education centre's point of view is that we're able to ride two horses now. We have the face-to-face and the online stuff. Yeah. So what we're able to do for teachers and for schools and school communities has broadened hugely. Whereas we used to have to get Fiona Foreman in to do a face-to-face. You only hit so many people. Now Fiona Foreman can do can be doing a, a webinar for, you know, teachers from, you know, for, all the way from Donegal back down to Kerry or across to Dublin or over to Galway and all in the one session. So for that, it, it is brilliant. And I suppose we're thankful for that. But just to, to kind of go from the particular to the general now for a minute, a theme that, that seems to have run through your professional life, or, you know, what might seem difficult right now, turns out to be okay and you're stronger than you think and that bears fruit in so many people's lives but you know the the well-being and the positive psychology gives you I suppose a scaffold or a structure on which to to build that right now so right now I'm feeling this is very difficult I'm unsure but when you have what Fiona Foreman gives you that scaffolding is there where I can see okay this is where I'm going to go with this is it that that drives you? Is it that, you know, yeah. trying to help people when they're feeling, I need help now? Yeah, I think so. I was trying to figure it out. Obviously, for teaching, that's very much a part of it anyway, isn't it? That's why we go into teaching to help children to reach their potential. And then I suppose to be more specific, when you start seeing children who hold themselves back and, you know, there's so much anxiety now, there's so much issues, you know, and resilience is a buzzword. That is the concept of resilience that we're talking about, but it's hard to pin down resilience is. So again, positive psychology, I was just so fascinated because, you know, there was the science of resilience or the idea that, yeah, we do have a baseline of resilience and, you know, our, obviously our surroundings and our environment build our resilience and community builds our resilience, but also we can develop tools, we can develop skills. And that's what really interested me because I, I felt I needed them myself and I felt I had been tapping into them through my life without maybe knowing that terminology for them and I was like wow these are ways that we can actually you know help ourselves through those hard times children are dealing with a lot as I said now more than ever so I feel maybe that is my main interest is you know obviously promoting well-being really really important and building resilience they are two sides of the same coin you know what what do you think Fiona has changed from when you and I would have started teaching to now so what what has changed for the the teacher the teacher I think it's nearly unrecognizable also I don't know if you agree with me on that and even in the three years since I left there's been so many new initiatives since then but I think it was a simpler job there wasn't the workload there weren't all the new initiatives I think there was more trust for teachers there was definitely less stress it was you know it was more holistic definitely more holistic Uh, and then over time gradually more paperwork came in more policies came in and I know some of them you know have brought benefits but I think overall, it has led to a sense of overwhelm for teachers, more and more initiatives. And I just wonder, what what is the purpose? Like, uh, you know, teacher well-being, again, being impacted by that. And the teachers are the the greatest resource in any classroom. I always say that to teachers, you are the greatest resource. So we have to value ourselves, we have to mind ourselves. No more than any policy or program, it is actually you 
as a as a person and that relationship you have with your class. And I just I think that was more valued back in the day than than now. So I think that's a big change. Would schools be a reflection on life in Ireland in general that you know we things are more cluttered. There's yeah. less trust. Yeah. There's less forgiveness. Yeah. Maybe there's there's even less joy, just simple yeah. joy yeah. in yeah. just getting on with life. That is true. Uh, life has become more intense. It's the intensity of life. I was talking to a group of teachers last week. I was on another summer course. I was just doing a guest talk, uh, which was great because it was lovely to, to check in with teachers during the summer as well. And uh, we were talking about that, that intensity. And anybody of my age or, or around my age can talk about that, that the intensity has really increased. I was saying that towards the end of my time in teaching, I noticed one day that everybody in my school was running. They were always running. You know, they came out of the classroom with a mug of tea. They were running. They were jogging. You know, in the mornings, running, running to the line. And I just, it just was an insight one day. I thought the pace in here is, is frantic. It's a frantic pace. It's a big school. And we had a great discussion as to why are we doing that? You know, who's who's creating that pace? Have we any control over? And, you know, I'm a huge fan of mindfulness and, and just taking a little bit of time to be a little bit calmer, to get off autopilot. All of those things are very important. Who was creating that pace? Some of us said that we were, we were doing it ourselves, you know, and that maybe two or three people we don't want to be blaming, but that it's very easy to get sucked into a culture. Um, and it very much depends on the senior teachers in a school. You know, and I was very lucky the first school I went to, there were senior teachers there who were, very, who were laid back, who had a great balanced view of life and were great for us as younger teachers. And had a bit of common sense. Again, it depends what school you're in. If you have that kind of bit of wisdom, I suppose, far learned. If you have people there on the staff that kind of say, listen, let's just slow down. We don't need to be running and rushing. So again, it's awareness and it's off autopilot. But the autopilot is, is to run, to rush, to be running from one thing to another. It's stressful. And I think, as you said, life is like that. Our lives are busier. And maybe corporate work was like that. And I feel teaching wasn't like that, but it's become a little bit like that. Because, again, we are overloaded. We are trying to you know, deal with a, a huge curriculum. Again, curriculum has changed a lot. And I think what we're trying to, what we're being asked to do is, is not really sustainable in a lot of, a lot of ways because it's too much. I remember uh, I was very, very forced to be taught by the great Fintan Walsh when I was in fifth and sixth class. And I was back in the school for uh, school placement when I was a student watching him then as a student teacher it was fascinating and then a few years on we were talking about school planning and somebody quoted Fintan they said he said yeah well when it comes to your yearly plan hit the staples by Christmas and <laughs> what he meant is if you're halfway through the book by Christmas you'll have plenty of time to cover oh. the curriculum hit the staples by Christmas and you know there was a guy who gave there was 48 boys in our class we had a wonderful education we absolutely loved the guy and, you know, his approach to this now, God, if it happened now, the inspectors would have a heart attack. But you know what? We all learned. We had a super, talk about a broad education. He used to bring us into the Abbey Theatre and often nature walks. And mm-hmm. he was an avid sportsman. We hurling. We all learned a false, but he flopped. All this stuff. You know, you oftentimes think, you know, like you're saying, there, is, is all of this self-imposed? You know, you can look back now and kind of say, how, when did that start happening? And I don't really know when. But I think that the experience you're talking about, there's a richness in that, isn't there? There was a Absolutely. richness of, of experience that, you know, and I sometimes think as the curriculum got broader, in a way, actually one of the teachers last week said, in a way, you're, you're doing so many things on a very superficial level. And you're not really getting a chance to go in deep with anything. 
And that then affects the whole atmosphere of the classroom, that you're kind of trying to skim through this and skim through that. It affects everything, you know. But teachers like that, I, I had a teacher like that myself as well in national school. And I went back as a teacher student. It was, it was really lovely. You know, again, he was definitely an inspiration to me. His music, there was art. He'd talk for a long time, telling stories in history. You know, it's just one of those characters. But again, it's a room for that. Are we actually, a friend of mine said to me recently, are we getting a bit like the cookie cutter? Here's a certain type of teacher. We, we all do this. We all we all have our, our plans the same. And, you know, our, our display boards are the same. We're all doing things the same. And there's something lost. We lose something is what I'm trying to say. And we try to, I suppose, be so regimental about it. Yeah. Even yeah. Art, isn't it? As much as yeah, it's a creative process. When it's done properly, it's a creative process. And it, the, the best is spontaneous. Yeah, you can't be spontaneous at all times yeah. every day. They're the things we remember. And when you think back on your own days, like you, you don't remember the grammar lessons. You remember when we put on the play or we did the sports. And, and when people come back to school, they say, you know, well, Mr. Bakbahuna, you know, are you still with the hurling teams? Are you still doing this? That's what they'll remember. And that's what adds to them as, as a person and it builds them as a person. But anyway, I digress. And just to say, to add to that, what it does, and we, we mentioned at the very start, what you're trying to do is inspire a love of learning. And it goes back to that. You want to inspire curiosity and creativity in children. It's not about, I sometimes feel it's become very content overloaded. There's a lot of content to be covered. Mm. And sometimes that's at the detriment to, you know, children can get sometimes overloaded as well. Whereas that love of learning, that creativity, you know, that interest that you might spark in a child that they haven't had before. Like to me, that's the big picture of teaching. But again, I know it's harder uh, at the moment and for younger teachers as well. I feel lucky that the system was like that when I started and I saw the benefit of it so I was able to kind of look at the new system or the system changing with a more kind of critical eye whereas if you only come in and you're trained in that system you probably don't know we can actually trust ourselves to slow down a little bit we can trust ourselves to look at everything going on a certain day and kids will they'll still be okay <laughs> mm. yeah well, well, with all this talk of teacher agency in the in the new curriculum I do hope that teachers do take that agency onto themselves and say, okay, this is the way I want this experience to be for the children in my class and take it, take a breath, take some time. But anyway, can I ask you, please, Fiona, a couple of quick ones for you? I'm going to ask you to imagine if you had a magic wand and if you could change one thing about the job of the teacher, what would it be? What would you get teachers doing if you could change their practice? I think what well, we've already talked about, if I had a magic wand, I'd take away a lot of the, the paperwork. I'd take a lot of, of the planning. I'd take away a lot of that. I'd also love to put in, again, we talked about the intensity of the school day. If I had a magic wand, I'd put in little pockets of time for reflection where we can actually stop and take five minutes, whether it's to breathe, think about, because again, I know we talk a lot about reflective practitioners and it's a buzzword, but you know, if you're in a classroom, primary particularly, uh, you don't, you know, from the minute your foot goes in the door to the minute you leave, you know, you're trying one thing to the next, you know, to the intensity. So that was actually built in that, you know, at a certain time, however we do it, I don't know, but that there'd just be a little chance to reset because I think that intensity and that stress can build over time and, and really can affect teachers' health. So a little bit of time for reflection uh, and maybe again collaboration. I mean, I'm very lucky. Uh, working with teachers and going into schools but sometimes the best thing you learn is from from looking at the teacher next door to you I don't know some schools do that where you know they have certain times where you can go in and 
and observe. And I know we're the worst in the world sometimes for for letting uh, want other teachers to look at us, but you learn so much the practicalities again by you know that shared practice. It's, I think there's so much richness, there's so much good practice already going on in schools that's maybe not shared as much. Teachers are the experts in a lot of ways, so I'd love so again building in a bit more reflection during the day and that teachers were able to share their expertise. And I know, again, the, the education centres are fantastic for that because it's where teachers have an expertise and they get to share it. So that is, you know, learning from each other is so, so important. Thanks, Fiona. I'm getting great value. I asked you for one thing. I got through there. What's <laughs> <laughs> I start to see? <laughs> <laughs> so if you could change, say, Magic Wand, you could change one thing about the education system. So you're Minister for Education. You don't worry about getting voted back in. You can do whatever the hell you want with the whole system. I'd be running riots, changing everything. I think I would obviously uh, try to put well-being in there, as I know it is coming into education, and and the framework is there, and the guidelines are there. And I just make I'd like to make sure that you know, and again, I know I'm doing part of that myself is is making sure teachers are 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 aware of that and get trained, and they understand the importance of it. And again, education centres playing a role in that. Also, I feel teachers really we are really at the front line of so many things and there's not enough support for, for teachers and children might have so many issues you know whether it's occupational therapy that children need or counseling i'd love some kind of wraparound support system for particularly in primary early intervention can you just imagine in a dream world but if a teacher if you you have so many children sitting in front of you, you you actually can't meet all their needs that's one of the most heartbreaking things and if you have a child you know they need occupational therapy you know they might need art therapy or you, you know whatever they might need and imagine if you could actually provide access to that child in the building. Tomorrow they're going to, to, to see so-and-so and that's going to help them with that. Because really what we are in for is teaching and learning. You know, we go into teaching because we want to teach and we want children to learn. But I sometimes feel we've so many obstacles to climb before we get to the teaching and learning. And I know some teachers recently have said to me that they feel that they're spending so much time on trying to meet children's needs very thinly spread. We need, obviously, more SNAs, I feel. But to have those support systems, I mean, I know myself as a teacher, you'd get a child in second class, you probably know they had a dyspraxia or dyslexia. This might be, you might be the first person who has to te- say this to a parent, which is very difficult. Well, it might be two years, you know, before a child actually gets access to any help. For, I'm thinking of dyspraxia in particular, but you know, whether it's occupational therapy. And that's heartbreaking because child, we want them to reach their potential. Well, I know in, your lot of, in a lot of your work, it's not just schools teachers it's families as well family centered and i think one of the beautiful things about being a school principal i know is that you're actually able to help families entire families which is which is i suppose when you finish up your days in teaching you kind of say well i help families which is a fantastic thing to do and it's funny that you mentioned that what a help it would be to a whole family if that one child can get the help the knock-on effect at home around the kitchen table is huge when you help that one child and particularly as you say early intervention but anyway that's if if you're minister for education in the morning one thing i'd ask you then you could change to say magic wand what change would you make to education centers fiona i think education centers are are already doing an amazing job especially with the pandemic you know with the the range of webinars and supports to really think of any other than to make sure that teachers are fully aware and I know we talk about social media and it has a lot of benefits because it can bring like-minded people together and, you know, you can share ideas. I'm on social media a lot for that. So I just feel to make sure 
that teachers are aware of all the, the amazing supports that there are there for schools and, and for teachers. And again, I suppose you say their social media, people's exposure to what's online now has turned into a positive in a lot of ways. Like I know I'm a bit of a dinosaur when it comes to social media, but when I joined the team here at Dublin West, Zita Robinson was talking about Instagram. I'd never gone near it before in my life. Uh, and we started the Instagram. And actually, the amount of traffic it brings in to webinars and events, both physically and online in the centre, is phenomenal. And Twitter can be a bit, you know, Twittery. Insta, for me, is a very positive place. Now, maybe it's the algorithm that's built around whatever I'm following. But I found it to be very positive, Insta. I, I agree. Yeah. The interaction it, it brings in here has been fantastic. So thanks for saying that, Fiona. You have a vast experience there. And I would ask you, for a young teacher starting off or somebody who's come into teaching, you know, at a later stage of their career, or you know, people embarking on a teaching career, what piece of advice would you give them in, in relation to their teaching career? It's so funny because I'm going to actually steal. I, I met a really good friend of mine yesterday who uh, just retired after how many years did she do? 42 years. Yeah. So she retired of it, obviously, at her retirement party and so on. But I wasn't there for her speech. So she was telling me yesterday when we had coffee, when we had coffee, she was telling me what she said. And I just thought this is amazing. She just said, please don't forget to have fun. Don't forget to enjoy it. There's ups and downs in it. And, you know, it's going to test you some of the days and you you have to be prepared for that. But you have to make room for the fun, the joy, the lightness, because it will actually give you a lot of that as well. I miss that about teaching. The fun with, with, with a child or what a child might say or a bit of crack you might have in the classroom, she said, spontaneity. Sometimes we can take it a little bit too seriously. It is a serious job. But I think how do you hold it a little bit more lightly? When I studied positive psychology, I became less serious as a teacher. That's funny. I realized I can give myself permission to slow down, number one. So that's what I say to teach you. Give yourself permission to slow down, to have a bit of fun, to have a bit of crack, to be compassionate towards yourself if you don't get everything done and to enjoy it as much as you can because that's what sustains you. But, you know, with the intensity and, and the workload, you know, I love the word intentional because intention, intentionality is the opposite of autopilot. And if we're on autopilot, you're just reacting you know, you're going through the motions. You're not really getting that meaningful, that depth of experience. Again, am I in the present moment? Am I noticing what's going on? It is. There's so much good happening here. So to be very intentional. Go and give yourself that permission to slow down, to treat yourself kindly, and to make time for the fun. There is time for it and enjoyment because that's what's going to sustain me in the long term. So I'm saving that from her. <laughs> Excellent. Well, look, at that is solid, solid advice. I'd ask you also, you've vast experience in CPD now as well. So teachers are getting ready for the, for the new school year. What three top tips would you give teachers for CPD? So I'm trying to think of my year ahead. I'm a teacher who's going to be intentional this year. What three top tips for CPD would you give? Well, me? you're probably going to guess that I'm going to say positive psychology and well-being. And I, I'm doing a lot of work with yourselves in the autumn term. I have loads of different topics. So, uh, and again, the great thing about well-being, there are so many different topics there to, you know, to break down and, and get into the nitty gritty. So, for example, I'm doing one about resilience. I'm doing uh, how to organize a well-being week. Um, resilience in teachers, self-compassion in children. So, you know, I would say have a look at well-being as a topic and just dip your toe in and, and see what, you know, what you think. And, and I can start gently to, to introduce some of these ideas. 
I'm also very interested, you probably guessed, you know, trauma-informed education, which is kind of the other side of well-being, which is, you know, dealing with children who have had difficulties. So that's really coming into education at the moment, isn't it, the trauma-informed? And it's amazing. It doesn't take long looking at the news to see how a trauma of any kind in childhood follows you right through your adult life. And the more you were saying about early intervention, the sooner you deal with it, the better and you can't do it on your own, and maybe teachers are in a position to give a small bit of help. It does tie in very well with well-being, because well-being is, again, very related to the nervous system, a thriving nervous system where you feel calm, you feel connected, as opposed to being in fight freeze. So, you know, the trauma response is fight fight freeze. And, and I think back to my early days in education, where children maybe were in that fight fight freeze, but I didn't, I didn't know it, I wasn't aware. And, of course, their behaviour, you know, their behaviour is very, very linked to that. So I think, for example, of children who I had in the past with severe behavioural issues, and, you know, I, I wouldn't be proud of the way that I would have dealt with that because I would have gone in, you know, at a, a kind of surface level and looking at the behaviour because I really didn't have the awareness that this child's nervous system is overloaded, that they might be getting triggered by this, or that there might be something going on that I'm not aware of. So the trauma-informed is, is very much about, you know, the behaviour, what behaviour is communication, what's going on for the child. Of course, the relationship being so, so important there. But I suppose I'm looking at it because it's something I wish I'd known earlier myself. You know, I remember even, you know, not that long ago, a little boy that I that I worked with, he was uh, diagnosed eventually with ADHD because he had very severe behavioural issues. Very, very severe. Um, and I didn't really feel that it was ADHD, but at least he got the diagnosis. And that was at the time where he actually had to have the diagnosis to access resource. So at least he got that. But later on, we found that there was severe trauma actually going on at home. And we didn't know that. And the ADHD was actually taken off, or I don't know what the word for that is, undiagnosed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when he, and his parents came back and told us, which was really, really nice, you know, mm-hmm. that we found that out. But I just thought, if we all had, of course, we, we didn't know, but I'm just saying, wow, when I see all his, all his behaviors, I just wish I had been just a little bit more tuned in as to maybe something was causing this, you know, and how can I best deal with this, you know. But again, not for teachers to be overwhelmed, but again, when we know better, we can do better. I love that phrase. So again, we have to forgive ourselves if we don't know. And of course, the last topic is, <laughs> I mentioned those topics there, but I suppose the, the AI coming into teaching, the chat, what is GPT? Yep. I have to dip my toe in there again. I haven't, I don't know anything about it, so I'll be putting my hand up myself, hopefully joining some webinars. Because I think it's going to possibly be transformative for education. It most certainly. Yeah. Uh, and again, on this series of podcasts, we we're, we're, we've interviewed uh, Shannon Ahern, who was one of the first out of the traps when it came to AI and education, and she's delivered right. for us back last year, and she'll be delivering again this year, I should say. So they are three excellent top tips. Excellent top tips. Yeah. We'll wind up by, I suppose, if I could summarise with two things I'm taking away from chatting with you, Fiona, is what might seem difficult right now can turn out really to your benefit in the long run. And then that last one you just gave me, and I've written both of them down because I've used them again, when we know better, we do better. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you, Fiona. We're only touching the very tip of the iceberg of what you have to say. I'd like to thank you for informing me when you know a few years back about the importance of positive psychology the importance of well-being not only for the people for whom i had care uh, and responsibility but for myself as well and i suppose you know that's the person for whom you have greatest responsibilities yourself 
So thank you so much, Fiona. It's been a real pleasure. Our paths will surely cross as you, as you do the courses here for us in Dublin West. Thanks so much, Ulton. Pleasure to talk to you and uh, really enjoyed the chat. So thanks and thanks. Keep up your own great work as well and delighted to be part of it. Thanks. thanks, Fiona. Tune in next week for another episode of Teachers Themselves. Don't forget to like and subscribe, leave us a review and share it with colleagues and friends. Your feedback informs the show. You can follow us across our social media channels, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Links are in the show notes. If you have any thoughts on today's episode or suggestions for future topics, email Zeta here at zrobinson.com at dwec.ie Oh, and don't forget to book that CPD dwec.ie Thanks again. Have a great week. Slán Tamil Teachers Themselves is a DWEC original produced and created by Dublin West Education Centre